0: pray together as we begin the message. Dearly Father, as we have a time where we look at your word and apply your word, I pray the Holy Spirit would apply your word and illuminate illuminate the word of God to the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Children may be dismissed to junior church at this point. Invite children to be on their way to junior church and We're going to be going to Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bible. Acts chapter 1. I don't know about you, but I don't like uh, bumper stickers, at least on my car, uh, because I don't want how I drive to represent Christianity. (laughs) I heard about this lady, she just got out of choir, just got out of choir practice, and she was so fired up, she just put a... A honk if you love Jesus. She put a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on her car. Honk if you love Jesus. At the intersection, she was digging in her purse and didn't notice that the light had changed. She said, I was so excited to find out the guy behind me loves Jesus. (laughs) He started honking. (laughs) So I rolled my window down, waved a real big and told him I love Jesus too. She said, I found out a whole lot of people love Jesus. Everyone started honking. One man even screamed, Jesus. (laughs) She said, after we shared all that love together, I was the only one that made it to the intersection. (laughs) Honk if you love Jesus, just to start with something funny. You know, we serve a mighty, mighty savior and we serve a mighty, mighty God. You know, at a past church, we used to sing a song that started out this way. My God can never fail. He's been proved time and again. Trust him and see he's got all the power you need. Never early, never late. He's got all the power you need. Our God can never fail. We sing another song at another church. It went like this. There's no rock. There's no God like our God. Our God is amazing. He's powerful. He can never fail. I wonder, do we believe that there is no God like our God? Amen? Amen. Do we live like that? Do do we live with a trust that he is God and there's no other? Do we live with a a conviction that he is the authority? Do you see how these two ideas go together? So many times we forget or we trivialize the power and authority of God. And, And this affects the way we trust him. We trivialize his power, his authority, and, and, and it impacts what we trust him. We so often trivialize the power and authority of God, and this means that we don't live under the conviction that his ways are best and only his ways. He is God and we are not. I once heard a powerful sermon by Francis Chan. I would commend any of Francis Chan's books to you, in which he talked about our mighty God, Francis talked about the Sunday school stories. We talk about them, you know, in the VBS or in children's church and things like that. Many of the stories, you probably remember some of them, right? The young boy David trusted God and God helped him conquer the giant. First Samuel chapter 17. We serve a strong God. Another one, long before David, there was a man named Noah. Noah trusted God And God was faithful. You can see that in Genesis chapters 6 and 7 and 8. Sorry. So though God flooded the earth, God saved Noah and his family. We serve a strong God. And I wonder, time for you to participate. What are some other examples that you might have? of our strong God, other Bible stories, other examples from the Bible. I mentioned David, I mentioned Noah. What are some other examples? Shout them out. Elijah in the rain. Elijah in the rain, right? Is that what you said? First Samuel, uh, First Samuel 17 and 18. No, 1 Kings 17 and 18. Elijah in the rain. He said it wasn't gonna rain and it didn't. And then when he said it would, it did. It did rain. That's right after Elijah conquers the prophets of Baal too. Really powerful. Thank you, Chris. So, the walls of Jericho, they came tumbling down. That's an old gospel song too. Uh, Jonah, Jonah and the great fish, right? Jonah, the reluctant prophet. Moses, Moses all the different things that happen with Moses, right? Other examples. Thank you. This is a, what Gideon. Gideon, Gideon, Samson. Said Samson. Thank you, Chris, for speaking for Danny. Right. Yes, yeah, Samson. All the different accounts of Samson and how God used Samson, God used Gideon, weed down the army to just 300 people so that at the end of the day, it was, it was God that defeated them and uh, the enemy, not, not this mighty. How about the story of Joseph? Yeah. Joseph. All that happened with Joseph. And it's interesting when we get to Joseph, we don't see necessarily a mighty battle where the walls come tumbling. You see something where Joseph went into the pit. But at the end of the day, God's providence prevailed and God was at work. And at the end, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph tells his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God used that to rescue and save all Israel and eventually us. Any other examples? Daniel in the lion's den. den. That's a powerful story. Uh, True stories, of course, of how God rescued Daniel. He would not bow to the king. Xerxes, I think it was there. Lisa, Lisa hold on. Um, was it Shadrach? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fiery furnace. Yes, thank you. Is that what you were going to say, too? Yeah, how God, you know, it's interesting you look at that. There were three men, but there was one like the son of man in the furnace, too. Nancy? Noah. Noah. Yeah, Noah uh, in the great flood, right? Yeah, Noah as well. Yeah. How God rescued Noah and his family. Yeah. Any other examples? Thank you, Nancy. Katie? Samuel, yeah, Samuel, his whole life, but especially his birth, Samuel's mother, Hannah, was barren. She praised the Lord. Samuel's born. And then in Genesis 3, 1 Samuel 3, we see how God called Samuel. So what was? The creation account. That's good. Go all the way back to Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then Christ himself. Mary, thank you, Chris. Was that you, Chris? Need some women. Well, I mentioned Hannah, but Mary, you know, and Mary, and we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. How she, how the angel told her, nothing is impossible with God, and we also see her cousin, a relative. It may not have been a direct cousin; it might have been a second cousin, Elizabeth, who was an older woman and uh, was allowed to was made pregnant by the by God. All right, let's move on here. These are great examples of our mighty, mighty God. We serve a mighty God. Uh, Here's a few others I heard from Chip Ingram in a sermon a few years ago. Um, Sorry. He is before all things, Psalm 92. Psalm 92, God is before all things. Revelation 1.8, Jesus and God the Father in Revelation both say they are the Alpha and the Omega, God created all things. Look at Colossians 1, 15 through 20, as well as Genesis 1, 1, which Kevin mentioned. Hebrews chapter one, he upholds all things. He he holds everything together by the word of his power. He is above all things. Ephesians chapter four, verse six. Isaiah 45, I am the Lord and there is no other. And as we just mentioned, Mary said, or actually I think it was the angel too, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Daniel 4, God rules all things. I was at a church at one point, and we sang a song that started out mighty, I think we might've sung this here before, mighty, mighty savior, mighty, mighty Lord. Today, we're gonna look at Jesus' ascension, Jesus' ascension into heaven. And I wanna show you that once again, we see Jesus is a mighty God. Correction, Jesus is the mighty God. And we'll apply that passage accordingly. Look with me at Acts chapter one, verses six through 11. So when they had come together, now the, Jesus is still with the disciples right here, at the beginning at least. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, they are, in, they are under Rome's domination. Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. But... Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. As we look at this passage, we see the disciples ask a question. They plainly ask if Jesus is now going to restore the kingdom, capital K, kingdom. The Bible says they gathered around him. It appears that the 11 disciples are with them. Judas is no longer. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Next week, actually. The 11 disciples are with them, but there may be close to 120 people all together with them. The 11 disciples plus others. Verse 15 later tells us about 120 people were in the upper room. This is a big upper room, about 120 people gathered together. And the 11 disciples are there, and they're asking Jesus... Is he going to restore the kingdom? The disciples do not yet have the Holy Spirit. And though they have been with Jesus for some three years, and Jesus has been with them for 40 days post-resurrection, it has now been 40 days post-resurrection. So they walked with Jesus for three years as disciples. And after Jesus was resurrected, he's now stayed with them for 40 days, They've fried fish together, they've eaten together, they've talked together. They probably laughed together. It's not recorded, but they probably laughed together. He taught them, but they still don't have the Holy Spirit. And they still struggle to understand. They still struggle to understand. And we would too. They had a misunderstanding. None of us know what it's like to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. We might know what it's like to quench the Holy Spirit. We may know what it's like to ignore the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. That's gonna happen later in the next chapter. The Holy Spirit helps us understand the things of God. The Holy Spirit helps us, helps us be a mouthpiece as we witness. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness. The Holy Spirit's our teacher. The Holy Spirit illuminates, we called it, illuminates the scriptures, convicts us so much more. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They still had some cognitive dissonance. They didn't understand. They're still thinking that Jesus is now going to overthrow Rome and restore the kingdom of Israel right there and then. Now, that's still going to happen. Still future. They didn't realize, even after Jesus teaching them for three years, walking them with, with them for 40 days post-resurrection... They didn't realize God's ways are different than our ways. Now, in the context of Acts, Luke is a writer. And Luke is reviewing his gospel. That's why we discuss Jesus and the disciples in this sermon on Acts. We must remember the disciples were likely very young men. It's likely they were very young. Some make the case that Jesus was a youth pastor And that they were all under 20 years old, except for Peter. Peter, when they had to pay the temple tax, which those 20 years old and older paid the temple tax, when they had to pay the temple tax, Peter is the only one recorded paying the temple tax with Jesus. Peter and Jesus. That could mean the rest were under 20 years old, or it could mean it's just not recorded they paid the temple tax, but they were all likely very young men either way. It is a big deal that Jesus has chosen and trained them, but without the Holy Spirit, they lack understanding. We also must put ourselves in their world. We must think that by their Jewish understanding, they were looking for a Messiah who would rule Israel as King David reigned in the Old Testament. They were looking for one to reign over an earthly kingdom. Unless we get too hard on them, how often do we put the earthly kingdom over the heavenly kingdom? How often do we think that our hope is in something of this world when it's not, it's Jesus? Jesus is our hope. How often do Christians in America especially end up thinking our hope is in a politician or something else or the economy or the stock market? It's not. Our ultimate hope is in Jesus. Where is our understanding of kingdom, capital K, of God's kingdom? Do we lack understanding as well? We have the Holy Spirit to guide and teach us, but we also are still stuck in our mode of thinking. Especially, bless you, especially in that we interpret things based on our past understanding. We interpret things based on our past understanding. I was reminded of this recently when Mercedes was just like a, toddler age, uh, uh, she's always tried to figure things out on her own and tried to do her own things. And she would always try to stack a chair on top of a chair, on top of a table, on top of a tower to get to what she wanted and all these different things. Um, She's always been that way, even to this day. Most of the time is good uh, now, Uh, but there was a time when she would try to unbuckle her own seatbelt and she would be in her toddler her toddler seat, or maybe it was a, yeah, it's probably a toddler seat at this point. And she would say, stuck, stuck. And I would say, yeah, that's that stuck for a reason, Mercedes. You're not to unbuckle that seatbelt on your own. We can get stuck in our thinking as well. I know a pastor who will say he's retiring, um, but he would say every church gets stuck somewhere. And he was talking about worship music. Every church, everybody gets stuck somewhere. The disciples were stuck in their thinking. And we get stuck too, don't we? Sometimes our thinking is stuck, sometimes because of our own fault, and sometimes simply because that is all God is allowing us to understand for the moment. Sometimes we're stuck because God hasn't shown us the next step yet. We have to trust him in the present. For their moment in time, they were looking for an earthly reign. So now Jesus responds. Jesus says they're not to know the times and the dates. We still don't know the times and dates. We still don't. I taught through Revelation a a few years ago in Sunday school and I teased my Sunday school class that if they stayed with me till the end, I would let them know when Jesus is coming again. Uh, They did stay, but I can't tell you when Jesus is coming again. I also can't tell you who the Antichrist is or who the Antichrist will be. I know it wasn't Elvis. They said it was gonna be Elvis. It wasn't Elvis. At least, you know, it doesn't seem like it was Elvis. We know it's not certain people. They've made those claims before. We don't know times and seasons. We only know what God gives us. Jesus says that the Father has set these times and dates. Do you think about that? It is by God's authority that he has set these times and dates. It's God's authority, Notice that Jesus didn't rebuke their understanding of kingdom. Let me repeat that because I think I said it fast. Jesus did not rebuke their understanding or misunderstanding of kingdom. Jesus will eventually reign on earth. Jesus will eventually make things right. Jesus will eventually conquer all these powers. Jesus will eventually have his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus will eventually restore Israel, but not yet. Again, we serve a strong God, we serve a mighty God, we serve the only true God, and he is in control, and we must surrender to and trust him. But, verse eight, they are to fulfill their great commission with the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria until the end of the earth, plug in to the power of the Holy Spirit. This group that was huddled together in the upper room in the next chapter will receive the Holy Spirit, and they will proclaim the gospel. And they will continue proclaiming the gospel. And get this: for two thousand years of church history, people have continued to proclaim. The gospel not by their power but by the power of the Holy Spirit within them you can't keep the Holy Spirit down Luke is likely alluding to Isaiah 49 6 which says it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preservative Israel I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And that's what happens in the book of Acts. God makes them a light to the nation and the salvation of the Lord goes to the end of the earth. In the book of Acts, it's at least Rome. We also know Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. So that guy took it back to Ethiopia. We know that later Thomas likely took the gospel to India. The gospel was spreading out to the end of the earth. It's interesting that at first Jesus simply says they do not know the times and seasons, but now he jumps to the Holy Spirit. Jesus says they must fulfill the Great Commission. It's as if Jesus is stating that the Helper, the Helper will come upon them and they will receive power. They don't need to worry about when the kingdom will come. Instead, they must proclaim the gospel. They're worried about how Jesus is going to establish the kingdom. Jesus says, don't worry about that. You're gonna receive the Holy Spirit and you're gonna be my witnesses. In a way, that is building the kingdom, really. It's a different way. Someday, Jesus is gonna reign physically. For now, he's reigning spiritually and he's using us to fulfill his kingdom. He's using us to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize that? We are kingdom citizens. And when we spread the gospel, we are being his kingdom servants. When we serve him, we give somebody a cup of cold water in his name, we are are his servants. We plant seeds of the gospel, we pray for others, we are his servants and we are establishing his kingdom, his royal kingdom. That's what we must do. We must trust in Christ always. We must understand that he is a mighty savior and we must stay the course proclaiming the gospel. Next, we see that Jesus ascends. He ascends. Then Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The disciples are gazing up into heaven in amazement. I mean, just imagine this. I mean, you're talking to someone and he ascends right into heaven. Is that amazing? Like, when I first read this, I've read the passage just so much. Sometimes I got to watch it because I'm not amazed, but I should be amazed. This is amazing. This really happened. This is not Hollywood, sci-fi, Disney stuff. This really happened right in front of them. They're the disciples. They're right there. Some 120 people gathered, and they look, and Jesus says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. And Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth." and poof, he goes... Just imagine that. Think about it. Let your Holy Spirit, sanctified imagination play with this and think about it. Because I don't know about you, I've never seen anything like that. Never seen anything at all like that happen. Heard about some amazing things? Never seen anything like that. God is powerful. The miracles in the Bible are real. The things that happen here are real. Later on, as we continue through the book of Acts, we're gonna see awesome things happen. The dead are gonna be made to live again. People are gonna be healed. Many awesome things are gonna happen, and they really happen. Let them amaze you, because we serve a mighty, amazing, powerful God. We're gonna see Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch where the Holy Spirit says to Philip, it's the Holy Spirit. Acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit, the works of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells Philip, go and go and tell the gospel to this man. Go up to the chariot, talk to him. It's really cool. And then after that, the Holy Spirit takes Philip in like in a magical portal, takes him to the next place. It really happens. Sometimes we read the Bible over and over and over again and we don't notice these things. Read it like a little child and be amazed. Eventually, two angels are standing next to the disciples. That's what the Bible means when it says two men in white. They were angels. These angels, these angels tell the disciples that Jesus will return the same way. Wow. It's as if the angels are telling the disciples to quit staring at the heavens and get to the Lord's work. And they do. See, they're still stuck staring like, whoa, you know, their jaws have dropped and <laughs> they're like, you know, they're still there. You, like imagine the angels like come up and slap the jaw, like close your mouth, you're okay. You know, he's gonna come the same way. Get to work, sharing the gospel. And that's what they do 10 days later. later is 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And that's really the birthday of the church. So let's take some applications here. We must trust Jesus as he is in heaven, rolling the earth. Jesus has ascended to heaven and he's reigning. He's in control. We must trust Jesus as he alone can know times and seasons. We must not doubt. We must surrender to God as he is God and he has things under control. God causes or permits all things. He's in control. We must trust Jesus as he is coming back in the same way that he left this earth. That's what the angels tell him. He'll come the same way. We don't know when. I'm not about to name dates. He's gonna come the same way. Jesus was taken away in a cloud. This shows his power and ability over creation. We must trust him as he is the powerful, mighty God. This passage once again shows that we must be amazed by Jesus, be amazed by Jesus. We must be amazed by his power and authority. He is taken away showing once again that he is not limited by the earthly physics or laws of nature. Compare it to Jesus walking on water. He could do that, he's God. Jesus calming the storm, he could do that, he's God. Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave, he could do that, he's God. And now Jesus can ascend to heaven, he could do that, he's God. We must await Jesus' coming in the clouds. You know, Paul would close several of his epistles, at least one of them, and the book of Revelation, penned by John, with Maranatha, which means, come, Lord Jesus, come. We cannot name dates and times, but we can get up in the morning and say, Lord, today would be a good day (laughs) for you to come again at the same time we keep serving him. We keep serving him and we don't give up. We must be a witness knowing that the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we have this power from above. We must be a witness starting locally and going far. We see it right here, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I read this story, uh, it's called On Top of the Fence Post. Alex Haley, the author of Roots, had an unusual picture hanging on his office wall. It was a picture of a turtle on top of a fence post. When asked, why is that there? Alex Haley answered, every time I write something significant, every time I read my words and think they are wonderful and begin to feel proud of myself, I look at the turtle on top of the fence post and remember that he didn't get there on his own. He had help. No turtle can get to the top of a fence post on his own and we don't get to where we're going on our own. We have to rely and lean on the Holy Spirit within us. I began the sermon talking about our mighty, mighty God. I read this in John Piper's book titled Think. He writes, Albert Einstein's indictment of preachers illustrates what I'm trying to say. Charles Misner was a scientific specialist in general relativity theory. And he was quoted this way. So this is a scientific specialist in general relativity theory. And this is what he said. He said, I do see the design of the universe as essentially a religious question. That is, one should have some kind of respect and awe for the whole business. It's very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe, this is still the scientist, I believe that is why Einstein has so little use for organized religion. Although he strikes me as a basically very religious man. He must have looked at what the preacher said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. Now, listen, this is why. He had seen, Einstein had seen much more majesty than they, ever, than they ever imagined. They were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt, Einstein, that religions he'd run across did not have proper respect for the author of the universe. Now, this is where Piper picks up again. Listen to this. Piper says, this is devastating, Because I cannot imagine that from our vantage point, 60 years later, preachers would seem to Einstein any more moved by greatness than they did then. What's wrong? There's a disconnect between the greatness of God and the emotional response of the preachers. To Einstein, it looked as if they were not talking about the real thing It felt so out of proportion to Einstein that it seemed like they were blaspheming. In other words, if here's a God of the sort that Christians say they believe in, you have dealings with them and respond as unemotionally as that. Einstein studied the heavens. He studied the universe. He studied all that, how amazing it is. And you hear Christians talk about God so lightly, so unemotionally. They were not amazed how awesome God is, Piper continues. Scientists know that light travels at the speed of 5.87 trillion miles a year. They also know the galaxy of which our solar system is a part of is about 100,000 light years in diameter, about 587,000 trillion miles. It is one of about a million such galaxies in the optical range of our most powerful telescopes. In our galaxy, there are about 100 billion stars. The sun is one of them a modest star burning at about 6,000 degrees centigrade on the surface and traveling, our star is traveling, our sun is traveling in an orbit at 155 miles per second, which means it would take about 200 million years to complete a revolution around the galaxy. Scientists know these things. Einstein was awed by them. He felt something like this. If there is a personal God, as a Christian say, who spoke the universe into being, then there is a certain respect and reverence and wonder and dread that would have to come through when we talk about him. And certainly, we would be talking about him all the time since he is the most important reality. We serve an amazing God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. And the only response is to bow down and worship, surrender to Him. If you're a Christian, there's a magnetic pull that draws you to Him. That pull comes to the Holy Spirit within you. If you do not have the magnetic pull, there could be a day or two or a month. There's dry seasons. Don't get me wrong but for an extended period of time, get on your hands and knees and cry out to the Lord. It may be that you don't really know him. Second Corinthians 13, five says to examine yourself and make sure you're in the faith unless you fail the test. Many times we ask people, I think I shared this last Sunday, but I'm gonna repeat it, it's important. We say, why aren't you going to church? Why aren't you going to church? Why aren't you going to church? But in general, in reality, we ought to go back to the beginning. Why aren't you drawn to the Lord? Why aren't you drawn to the Lord? If you know the Lord, why aren't you drawn to the Lord? There should be a magnetic pull that the Holy Spirit within you, and the Holy Spirit wants to be with the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. The Holy Spirit wants, to be, wants you to be in the word of God. The Holy Spirit wants you to be in these spiritual disciplines, to be communing with the Father. What did Jesus say? I have to be about my Father's business. And if, if for an extended period of time, there's no draw. There ought to be cause for concerns. Our God is amazing. And he is not to be trifled with. He is holy. He is powerful. He is amazing. He endows us with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit within us as Christians. And the Holy Spirit changes us. And the Holy Spirit draws us to him. So let me ask you right now. The disciples, they didn't understand. They would eventually understand More. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon them in the next chapter and they're gonna turn the world upside down. They're gonna be sharing the gospel. Where do you stand with the Lord right now? Do you have a draw to him Monday through Saturday to be in his word? Do you miss it when you skip church for days and weeks and months and years? Does it bother you when your children are not walking with the Lord? Or do you make excuses for them? to bother you, to prayer, to fasting? Are you looking, praying for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus and share the gospel? I encourage you to think on these things and pray on them. I'm gonna invite the uh, prayer workers to come forward. We're gonna have a prayer song right after I pray. And I'm gonna invite them to come forward right now as I pray. And then right after the prayer, I'm gonna invite Billy to begin, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. We're gonna meditate on that song, as we do meditate on that song, the altars are open and come forward as you feel led. We would love to pray with you. It's a privilege to pray with you. If you would like to just be silent and pray by yourself, you can tell the altar, they'll be glad to give you space too, but we're just, would love to pray with you right now. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, you are our wonderful, merciful savior. You are our precious redeemer and friend. You are amazing. Lord God, to think about the heavens. Psalm 8 gets into that. The work of your hands. All these stars, all this distance, how amazing it is. And what is man that you're mindful of him and her? You care about us. You care about us so much you you came down and took our place on the cross. You died on the cross for our sins and you rose again. You desire a relationship with us. Lord God, help us as we walk with you this week. Help us to be encouraged by your great love for us. May we be encouraged by your great love for us. Help us to be encouraged by how amazing and awesome you are. You are our mighty, mighty savior, our powerful God. Some of us here are probably out of fellowship with you. If we aren't, we have family and friends that are. If it's us, Lord God, may today be the day to confess we're a sinner in need of a savior, to make you Lord of our life, to trust in you and commit to you, to confess, to believe, trust, and commit. We're never promised tomorrow. And you don't call us to make a one-time prayer of salvation, but you call us to be in a relationship with you. Be with us, Lord God, as we meditate on this song and pray together. And then as we worship you in the closing song. In Jesus' name, amen.